Hey everyone, before we begin today's episode, I did want to let you know that there is some very brief mention of sexual abuse. I do not get into specific descriptions, but I talk more about uh, the pattern of control and manipulation and less about the actual acts. But if any of this is triggering for you, please feel free to skip this episode and I will catch you on the next one. Hi everyone, welcome to Reality Tonight. I'm your host, Rit. Thanks for being here today. You know, aside from my obvious interests that usually include The Real Housewives and Bravo shows and reality shows in general, I have always found myself really drawn to stories of people with an insane amount of wealth passed through generations who have like really dark secrets. So, for example, the show Succession is a really simple way to explain that, you know. But also, like, this also goes back to British history. I I remember we went to England when I was in, like, fourth grade or something. You know, I went with my family. And I got really obsessed with Henry VIII, who was this king that, you know, if you guys watched the, the Tudors, it was about him. I think. I didn't actually watch it. But he was married. He had six wives, and he had two of them beheaded. Two of them he... Um, Two of them he divorced, and one died in childbirth, or after childbirth, and then one he died. He, like, she outlived him, basically. And so there was this, like, history of really dysfunctional behavior from his side, because he just had the world at his fingertips, and could just, you know, and was, like, really just, like, an angry, sort of, like, uh, I want what I want when I want it kind of person. It's the sort of behavior that only comes with power with an insane amount of power and so whenever I hear that I think was my first dalliance with like corrupted power and an interest in those kinds of stories and so whenever I hear those stories coming around like also like the Tom Girardi stories another one with Erica Jane where it's like so much money everything seemed like it was going well and he seemed like he was the kind of guy who fights the good fight and you know you would hear about lawsuits every now and then but how much of those are legit versus people coming for his money but now you see like no there is a full-on history of abuse of power from his side too and so that story really fascinated me and then the story came out about army hammer who is the actor that you all know from call me by your name but also mirror mirror the social network uh the man from uncle he was always in in the, in the way that he was not interesting, I actually found him interesting because he's a very tall, kind of blonde hair, blue eyes, good-looking guy, looks like a leading man, and he could never quite hit the mark, right? I mean, Call Me By Your Name was such a big deal, but it was sort of less about him and more just people were really moved by it. Some people found it troublesome and controversial. There was, of course, the peach scene, but it wasn't really about him and his performance. The highest sort of honor, if you really want to call it that, he ever got in his career was for that movie, and that was a Golden Globe Award uh, nomination for Best Actor, and we all know the Golden Globes are a pile of horseshit. So he never has gotten his due, and I suspect, based on what's happening in the news now, that window might have closed for him for good. So what's happening most recently with him is that women are coming out and talking about how abusive and controlling he was in their various relationships with him and his obsession with S&M, domination, uh, coercing women into doing things that they were not comfortable with, but he had such a 
um, so, sort of psychological hold on them that they felt compelled to do what he wanted. So this, you know, takes me back, of course, to my Surviving R. Kelly days when I worked on season two. It's the same kind of grooming process, and then you get people to do things for you. You you bond over past trauma. I mean, if you look at the steps of what he did with these women, allegedly based on what they're saying, it really does follow a very clear pattern that a lot of abusive men follow. So, you know, all those allegations came out and they were, of course, really dark and should be taken seriously. And the the, the darkest of those allegations had to do with cannibalism and him talking about texting women saying that he wanted to eat their ribcage or eat their toes, like really sort of things that we're not really used to hearing a lot. And so that kind of piqued my interest because I was like, wow, this is like a whole new level of darkness. And normally, you know, this sort of like abuse and these kinds of allegations are things that I, aside from from reading an article or two about them and, you know, just deciding, obviously, just to see how things play out and to give women the space to tell their stories, I don't tend to really deep dive beyond that. But then I realized after reading an article that Vanity Fair put out, which is probably the world's longest article I've ever read, that Army Hammer's family has a history of dysfunction that goes back five fucking generations, okay? Five generations of dysfunction in this family that has led us to this very now public, more well-known situation with him and these women that he was, you know, having relationships with or whatever. So... I'm inviting you to come on this little trip with me as I trace the roots of this dysfunction as it goes beyond Army and way up to his great-great-grandfather. So let's begin with last summer in the Cayman Islands, where Army Hammer is actually from, which is so interesting. And he has been, last summer he had been quarantining with his family uh, they were vacationing in the Cayman Islands, and they got stuck with his father and his stepmother. So now we have a house with Army, his wife Elizabeth, his kids, and his father and his stepmother. So his father's name is Michael, okay? They're in this house, and the way the quarantine was happening in the Cayman Islands, you couldn't even leave your house. Like, you would full-on get arrested and thrown into jail for six months if you set foot outside of your house. Now, I'm not sure how it worked as far as getting food or groceries or medical attention or any of that stuff. I know that my really good friend in India, she had the same situation where they could not leave the house at all. The trade-off, of course, was that their numbers went down a lot faster, but there was a big psychological toll that it took on people. Because imagine, I mean, I know here we like to say, like, we were in quarantine. We were not in quarantine, okay? Quarantine is you cannot set foot outside of your house. I was able to walk my dog three times a day with a mask, of course, go to the grocery store with a mask, all of that stuff. So... We actually did not, we were not in full-on quarantine lockdown the way other people were. So he's stuck in this house with his family, and he gave an interview uh, late last year before all of this news broke, and he said that the experience sucked so badly, the island itself handled the situation really efficiently, but they also handled it in a really intense way. It was a very draconian lockdown. They wouldn't fly anywhere, or at least not to America. Everything was closed. I mean, everything. The gas stations, the grocery stores, everyone just locked themselves in their house. If you're out and they see you, you go to jail for a year. I'm not kidding. One guy violated curfew by five minutes, and they put him in jail for four months. They were not fucking around. So this is his headspace last summer. He says, we'd be looking out at the ocean, but couldn't go in the ocean. Looking at the beach, but couldn't go on the beach. We couldn't leave the apartment, couldn't go in the pool, couldn't do anything. So it was a really concentrated family time, which is really great with the kids, but it was intense. 
So finally, in July, he basically fled the Cayman Islands, left his family there, okay? So left his wife and his kids with his father and his stepmother, and he came back to America. Then when he landed in America, he accidentally texted his wife a text that was meant for one of his side chicks. And shortly thereafter, she filed for divorce. So that was last summer. So now let's go back, way back into history, to 1915, to Army's great-great-grandfather, Julius. So Julius was a doctor, and he performed an abortion on the wife of a Russian diplomat, and she died a few days after, and so he was sent to prison. Now, there's a lot of shadiness surrounding this operation and her death, and so there's already a bit of, like, mm, something doesn't feel quite right with this guy. So he's in prison, all right? So this is Julius. Julius has a son named Armand. So Armand is Army Hammer's great-grandfather, okay? So Armand, after his father goes to prison for this botched abortion, he goes to Russia to fortify the uh, relationships his family had with business interests in Russia. Okay, so this family is basically directly connected to Stalin. So uh, so Armand goes there to fortify those business relationships, and it is there that he meets a singer named Olga. They get married and they have a son who is Army's grandfather, who becomes a huge player in all of this. But let's stick with Armand for now, the great-great-grandfather. So after he marries Olga, he uh, divorces her, remarries in the 50s, divorces that woman, and then he gets married a third time. This is Armand Hammer. Gets married for a third time to a woman named Frances Barrett Tolman in 1956. She had a ton of money. He took that money and invested it in oil and made a shit ton. So now the family is rolling in the wealth. So Armand, same guy, rolling in the wealth, who is Army's great-grandfather, is where things start to get a little weird. So he wants to distance himself from the Russian connections that the family has, And he wanted to kind of like reinvent his image as an American businessman who just, you know, worked hard, invested smart, and made a ton of money. So he hires a ghostwriter. We all know ghostwriters. Those of us who are watching Bravo shows, we all know our ghostwriters, to write a memoir about him called The Remarkable Life of Dr. Armand Hammer. So if you look at this guy from the outside, he has a private Boeing 727. He palled around with Prince Charles, high-powered politicians. He was a close friend of Senator Al Gore Sr., attended the inaugurations of FDR, Reagan, and George H.W. Bush, among other presidents, collected expensive artwork, and convinced Chinese leaders to lend two pandas to Los Angeles for the city's 1984 Olympics. And he died in 1990. So from the outside, this guy is like the American dream, right? Again, family roots in Russia, came here... Uh, invested in oil, made a ton of money, now has all of these amazing possessions, and, you know, have these pandas come in for the Olympics because he's an all-American guy who wants America, you know, who believes in the American dream, the American story, and wants America to look great on the international scale. So that's from the outside. According to a biography that was written about him, here's what was really going on. First, let's talk about those finances, shall we? He was involved in laundering money, using artwork to fund Soviet espionage, bribing his way into the oil business, and knocking off Fabergé eggs. He bugged his office and home, plus his cufflinks, to record decades worth of conversations, and he had a fixer who would, you know, clean up all of his shit, and was known to do business with a briefcase full of cash. So, 
hold on, let's pause here. Aside from the fake Fabergé eggs and the laundering money, all that stuff, I am fascinated by these cufflinks. So he would bug his cufflinks to record conversations. This is the thing, guys. This is why I can't, like, when it comes to having an insane amount of wealth, I feel like paranoia just follows after that and makes you an absolute crazy person. You think everyone is after your money. And it's one of those things where you yourself are shady, so you think that everybody else is shady as well because you see the qualities in other people that you see and don't like in yourself. So um, cufflinks that record conversations are kind of awesome and um, wouldn't mind a pair. Not that I'd be recording conversations, but it seems like a really cool collector's item. He also made an illegal contribution to the Nixon re-election campaign, which in all likelihood, according to the New York Times, went to help pay for the Watergate cover-up. Though he faced a felony charge for obstructing justice in this matter, a Washington lawyer helped him plead guilty to a misdemeanor charge, and George H.W. Bush pardoned him. So this guy really does have a lot of influence, to the point where, much like the story about Tom Girardi I talked about, he knew the right people to get him out of you know, all this, all the shady stuff. So we're talking about a bunch of like old white men having each other's backs and getting each other pardoned for some of like the shadiest shit ever. Okay, this, this part I thought was wild. Armand had multiple mistresses, including a woman named Martha Kaufman, who was a mother of two who divorced her husband after meeting Armand and who was put on Occidental Oil's payroll as an art consultant. Okay, so at this point, Armand is married. Remember, he married this woman named Frances, his third wife. She was the one whose money he took and invested and made a ton of money. So he is cheating on Francis with a woman named Martha Kaufman, all right? And she's on, the, she's on his company payroll, so she's basically just getting paid out to be his mistress. So when Armand's wife, Francis, grew suspicious, Armand had Martha legally change her name. Okay, we're not talking like pick an alias or something. It is such a bitch to change your name as any of your friends who have been married or if you got married and you had your name changed. From what I hear, it's a royal bitch. He had her change her name to Hillary Gibson, insisting that she wear wigs, glasses, and makeup to change her appearance. So what's wild is that she went through with all of this. So this guy really has a hold on her. So here we are talking about, you know, Army Hammer and the, and the control he had on these women and how he would do perverse sexual things with them. But this history of influence and manipulation, be it with money or emotional control or whatever, goes back to his great-grandfather. And maybe even beyond to the great-great-grandfather that was in prison for the abortion, we don't know. But on record, it was his great-grandfather that was up to all this crazy shit, okay? So, so she's going around in disguise. This went on for a decade. This affair went on for a decade. Per the biographer, she drove a car with a homing device, used a tapped phone, and submitted to his sexual demands even when they were extremely humiliating. So now, enter the sexual behavior, which is the same shit that we see going on a few generations later with ARMY. It's this, when you have this amount of wealth and control and everything is available at your fingertips, then you start to want the things that you know you're not supposed to want. The things that are dark, the things that are frowned upon, because you have everything else, so why not go there, right? So after this woman went through all the shit, the disguise, the name change, the humiliation, being bugged, he cuts her out of the will. All right? So let's, let's, just, let's just recap. We have a man who has made a ton of money after investing his wife Francis's funds in Occidental Petroleum. He gets involved in shady business, has a mistress, convinces her to wear wigs, glasses, and makeup, had her change her name, had her submit to humiliating sexual acts, and he bugged her, and then he cut her out of his will. This is all one human. This is Army Hammer's 
great-grandfather. So now it's like, I mean, who of his like offspring are not screwed if this is what they grew up around? So in this Vanity Fair article, we hear from a woman named Casey Hammer, who is a, who is an estranged family member. She works in San Diego. She, I think, is a kitchen designer at Home Depot. And she doesn't have a ton of money. She said she has about $100 saved up as of when this article was published. So this is her uh, grandfather that we're talking about, right? This is Army's aunt and her grandfather. So Casey says everything he did was public. She said, God forbid you did anything wrong in front of his friends. You couldn't wear the same dress twice to his gala parties. On the outside, we had to be the perfect family. But behind the scenes, Amon required his son, Julian, daughter-in-law Sue, and three grandchildren to make appointments to see him. Casey says, I started watching Succession and I had to turn my TV off because it was like, oh my God, that's my family. Okay, so that's the story of Armie's great-grandfather, Armand. So Armand had a son named Julian. Okay, so Julian is Armie Hammer's grandfather. But Armand didn't think much of his son, Julian. He was an only child and he ignored him completely in the will and handed over his business empire to Julian's son, Michael, who is Army Hammer's father, all right? So if you're following me here, we have this great-grandfather bugging, you know, bugging his mistress's car, doing all these crazy things, the, the humiliating sexual acts. He has a son, Julian, who he doesn't think much of. So before he dies, he hands over the whole empire to his grandson, Michael, who is Army Hammer's uh, father. Now remember, when Army Hammer fled the Cayman Islands after quarantine, or during quarantine, he was locked up in that house with his wife and his kids, but also his father, Michael, who was the who inherited all the shit, and his stepmother. So just keep that in mind. So as somebody who is passed over, you know, with the family business, and we for those of us who watch The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, you saw this with uh, Mary and how her grandmother passed the church onto her and skipped her mother. It's literally the same thing. Because, you know, this is the dynasty and the legacy. You don't want to pass it to just anyone. You want to pass it to the brightest family member. So as Casey says, the uh, the uh, the granddaughter who sort of removed herself from the family, she says that the only way that uh, Julian could get the attention of his father was by uh, resorting to really, really bad behavior. So now Army's father, Michael, has the empire. Julian, who is Michael's father, is like, what the fuck? Where's my empire? The only way he could get his father's attention when his father was alive was by doing really shitty things. Like what, you may ask? So we're talking 1955. In the morning hours after Julian's 26th birthday, he killed a man inside his Los Angeles home over a gambling debt and was and supposed advances on his wife, Glenna Sue. The front page headlines read, Millionaire Son Kills GI. Armand had a friend deliver $50,000 in cash to a lawyer in Los Angeles. Julian claimed self-defense and charges were dismissed. So this is Army Hammer's grandfather, Julian. In her self-published 2015 book, Surviving My Birthright, Casey alleges that Julian sexually abused her when she was a child and that Julian was abusive to others in the family. So Julian is Casey's father, just so you know. Now we're at Michael, who is Julian's son and uh, Army's father. So early on in his life, uh, Michael had problems with drugs and alcohol, but then he met his wife, Drew Mobley, on a plane, and she was a devout Christian. So Drew is Army Hammer's mother and she helped keep some of his issues under control. So now when Army, so they have Army, and now Army is four years old in the story, and his great-grandfather Armand dies and leaves behind $180 million, okay? 
$180 million. Remember, all the shit went to Michael, Armie's dad. So Armand was obsessed with legacy, but after he died, Armie's father, Michael, turned over the, uh, the Hammer Museum, which was the family museum, to the UCLA Art Department, and he asked that the Metropolitan Museum of Art remove Armand's name from the Hall of Arms and Armor, because in order for the name to be like solidified there, Michael would have had to pay the remaining, I think it was like 100 million or something that was due, and he refused to pay it. Also in Armand's final years, he had recommitted himself to Judaism. So then Michael took the family funds and began to redirect some of them to Jews for Jesus and Italy for Christ. So mind you, so now we have Armie's father who is erasing his grandfather's legacy, which this article doesn't really get into why, but he is working overtime to undo all the stuff that his grandfather wanted to do, which, you know, whatever, isn't so sad because his grandfather wasn't, you know, the nicest guy in the world with all of his abuse and all that shit. But it is interesting. There's This seems like something that you have to go out of your way to do instead of just paying these things to solidify your grandfather's name as per his wishes. There must have been something that happened there for him to have this much bitterness against his grandfather to want to erase his legacy as much as possible. So then Michael, of course, gets involved in selling knockoff paintings, which seems to be like the business of this family is fake paintings. Now, for years, this is where it gets really, I mean, it's already gotten weird, but it gets a little weirder here. For years, people claim that Michael boasted about a sex throne or a naughty chair, as he called it, that he kept in the Armand uh, Hammer Foundation headquarters in Carpentaria, a warehouse where two people claim that Michael lived for several years after his divorce. So Michael eventually divorces Army's mother, Drew Mobley, the super religious one. The structure, the warehouse, is about, oh, sorry, yeah, the structure is about seven feet high, and it features a chair with a hole in the seat, a cage underneath, and a hook. The hammer coat of arms, the same one that for years was at the exterior of the headquarters, is painted onto the seat. In one photo, Michael sits atop the throne, grinning, while holding the head of a blonde woman sitting in the cage and also smiling. In response to Vanity Fair's questions about Michael's sex throne, drug and alcohol use, finances, and history with women, Claire, counsel for Michael Hammer and the Armand Hammer Foundation, says these questions, which ask about unsolicited gag gifts sent by friends, conduct that sounds pretty typical of recently divorced people and entirely legal financial transactions that were properly accounted for, are absurd. Er, back up a minute here. Whose friends are sending them gag gifts that are full-on sex chairs with a cage in the bottom for someone to sit and do, you know, stuff to you? Like... This is something that only happens, I feel, in elite circles of white men. This kind of, like, perverse, I mean, that's really dark, all right? I don't know. I find that to be very weird. So, anyway, uh, after he divorced Drew, he proposed to a spa healer from the Four Seasons in 2017. This, I suspect, is the stepmother that Army was quarantined with in the Cayman Islands last year. So now let's get to Army's childhood. So what was interesting is you would think that growing up in a family like this, he would have been rolling around in wealth and grown up with a ton of money. But because his mother, Drew, was super religious and grew up in Oklahoma, there was a real push by Drew to keep Army very humble and not reliant and not just expecting that he would have a ton of money coming his way. To the point where when he was filming Call Me By Your Name, he owed the director money from a bet and he couldn't pay the bet or he would go bankrupt and he had to buy diapers for his kid. What I want to know is where did all the money go? Because if you're starring in studio films, especially when I think of The Lone Ranger, Social Network was a little early, but even The Man from Uncle, like he had to have been making a very decent amount of money. 
where does all that money go? Is it just like blown away in lifestyle? I don't know. I just I just find it so weird. And so, you know, the thing is he never really hit his stride as an actor, which again, I go back to, I find that to be so interesting because you can be on paper perfect for a leading man type, but if you don't have that special quality, which they say like, for example, a Tom Cruise has, then it's just not going to happen for you. And I wonder if it's because, you know, even though he wasn't, spoiled rotten growing around that kind of family dysfunction maybe he had to really switch off a lot of himself and so a lot of that charm that normally comes through because when i watch him i don't i don't get anything i'm not getting anything and i'm not getting any personality any depth any warmth and i wonder if he just had to like switch off a lot of that coming from that crazy family maybe that's why we don't i at least don't see a lot of depth when he's on camera it's very interesting so now we're talking about his wife elizabeth who said that several years back, Army introduced her to shibari, a Japanese bondage art form in which people are tied up in intricate patterns. So she tried to be supportive of the new interest, which Army allegedly indulged by buying mannequins and inventing elaborate knots. Now, if you heard about recently, after all these allegations came out, he uh, moved out of his apartment in the middle of the night, there was a mannequin in, in the dumpster behind his apartment. So I think all that stuff is true, especially if his wife is saying it. I mean, it has to be true, right? So they have two children together. One was born in 2014, one in 2017. According to a friend close to Elizabeth, Army confessed to being unfaithful shortly after his son's birth in 2017, but claimed it was a one-time offense. Years later, this friend says Elizabeth found evidence of an affair Army was having with a co-star. So I didn't want to get into this, so I didn't look it up. But I mean, if you do the math, if it's a few years after the son is born, we're talking like 2020, 2019, very recently, maybe just see what he was shooting. I don't know. I, I don't know who this other woman was, but it, uh, it like doesn't even matter, honestly. So the Hammers, uh, after that affair, the Hammers had been in expensive family therapy, but to Elizabeth, the indiscretions, and more notably, his decision to flee the family during a pandemic were the final straw. This was last summer. So then, like I said before, when Army touched down in the U.S. last year, he mistakenly sent a raunchy text message meant for someone else to his estranged spouse. That's when she filed for divorce. So now if you look at this final stretch of behavior, after the divorce filing happened, he was dating around a lot, was romantically linked to two women who came out and said that the cycle when they were with him was that they were intoxicated by his charm and he was able to cycle through Romeo and Juliet style romantic proclamations, teary family confessionals and kinky bedroom scenarios with disorienting ease. According to Courtney uh, Vusikovic, who went on record to talk about all this, Army was on a flight out of the Cayman Islands, escaping the intense lockdown situation last June when he messaged her on Instagram for the first time. The DMs came fast and furiously. The actor immediately spilled about the tense situation with what he described as his crazy family, describing near fistfights with his father, Michael, and a short-lived escape plan that involved taking a fishing boat to Cuba. Within the first five minutes, he was basically like, this all goes back to my horrible childhood, she says. It's not the most romantic thing, but we bonded over past traumas. Now, this was the same thing that R. Kelly did, where within like your early meetings with him, he would open up about his family trauma. And uh, that's the way that these abusers get you in because you're like, I've had trauma too. And now you're bonded over trauma, which if you've ever bonded with anyone over trauma, it kind of links you together in a way that makes it hard for there to be a split. She says, day one, he makes you feel bad for him. 
It's when he makes himself look like the victim. Then he love bombs you like crazy. You've never felt more special in your entire life. I've never seen anything like it. We're in a restaurant. I'm sitting across from him. He pulls my chair over right next to him in front of everybody and is hugging and kissing you. You're the only girl in the whole world. And then he starts the manipulation and the darker stuff. So that's last summer, okay? Now we're in September of last year. He meets 22-year-old Paige Lorenz. She too got an immediate barrage of sordid family secrets. A lot of really dark stuff, she said. I felt confused why he was telling me this stuff so instantly. It was stuff I would never share off the bat. He said his grandfather was this kind of very scary person who had these crazy sex parties where there would be guns. But, said Lorenz, there was an unmistakable tone of awe. He thought it was cool and proud of him in a way. So his grandfather, we're talking about uh, Julian, who was passed over for the family fortune. So Armand's son, who was passed over for the family fortune, who killed the guy in 1955 over that bet and him looking at his wife. And this is uh, also the father of Casey, who's Army's aunt that works uh, at the Home Depot in San Diego. So yeah, crazy sex parties where there would be guns, but he thought it was cool and proud of him in a way. Army then took Paige Lorenz to Texas to meet his mother, Drew, just like he had with Courtney from the, from the previous, uh, the previous um, account. She enjoyed the trip because it felt like a normal relationship thing to do, but suspected Army's relationship with Drew, his mother, was complicated. His mother spoke of the devil trying to take Army, and she worried that he didn't believe in God. Lorenz said that Drew let the, two, let the two sleep in a bedroom together, but immediately started grilling her about her religious beliefs. She was very, very sweet to me. She instantly started talking to me. Well, have I accepted the Holy Spirit? I've never been to such a Christian household. After a few days, Lorenz said that Drew opened up to her about how she was so worried about Army and so grateful for me because she felt like I was a good influence on him and that she just wanted to, him to accept God back into his life and that he had just been fighting everything for a long time. So you have this guy, Army, who is this product of a family that has a really sordid history with sexual abuse and, um, you know, white collar crimes and all sorts of crimes. But his mother is also intensely religious, which is another thing in itself. Just because she's intensely religious, it doesn't mean that he was given a solid upbringing. There is a lot of other dark stuff that comes with an intensely religious upbringing as well, right? A lot of shame and this is not for you and you can't have this and that's wrong and that's dirty. So imagine you're someone like Army Hammer who has that kind of mania running in your family. Then you're told by your mother that you can't have XYZ. The conflict that has to create inside of his brain, I imagine accounts for a lot of the stuff that we're hearing come out now. During their time together, Paige Lorenz said, Army didn't have any money. This is last fall. She said that she paid for everything. He was only getting by on loans from friends. She only broke things off with him after he started making rules for me of things I could and couldn't do, who I could have over, who I couldn't. He told me I couldn't have anyone else in my bed. Then I started to feel really unsafe and really sick to my stomach about the thing. I was emotionally dependent on him. You never know what you're going to get with him. He's kind of a scary person. So that's when they broke up and they haven't spoken since. This again is the same shit with R. Kelly. First, it's, uh, it's your charm by him. Then there's the love bombing. You're the only person in the world that matters. Then there's the bonding over the trauma. You and I are in this together. It's us versus the world. We've seen some shit that no one else has seen. Then it's that, hey, let's do X, Y, Z in the bedroom. And if you don't do it, you'll really disappoint me. Then it's the, you can't go here. You can't do this. You can't do that. It is textbook the shit that R. Kelly did to all of those survivors. 
Now we're at the end of last year, and Army returns to the Cayman Islands because Elizabeth won't let him see his kids. And so he posts on Instagram. He had, uh, I think it was LDestructo85 was his Instagram handle. So he posted on his private Instagram, I have to go back to Cayman, which sucks, except there are a few silver linings, and there was a woman in lingerie on his bed. And uh, yeah, so that's very interesting. He said, also, divorce is so fun, not as fun as drugs, but what is? So now we're in January, and the allegations start coming out about the cannibalism and all of the perverse sexual acts. And he comes out and says, I'm not responding to these bullshit claims, but in light of the vicious and spurious online attacks against me, I cannot in good conscience now leave my children for four months to shoot a film in the Dominican Republic. So he dropped out of his movie with J-Lo, and he either dropped out or was dropped from the uh, show about the making of The Godfather, which were two massive projects. Now we go back to Casey, his aunt, who was told recently by a family member Uh, Don't go out after dark. If you do, go in a group, park under a light and near a store entrance, valet as much as you can. In other words, because Casey is speaking out about this stuff, you know, people who care about her are a little worried about her because this family, this family's uh, pretty dark. She says, if you had told me in my 20s that I would end up financially challenged, single and working at Home Depot, I would have bet you a million dollars that wouldn't have happened. The inheritance settlement lasted her 18 years. So there was a big fight over that inheritance settlement and she got some of it. But yeah, it lasted her 18 years, and she's been getting by on her own since then, eating progressive soup and bologna sandwiches, which is, I mean, that's tough, you know? It's like, it just money brings out the worst in people. These, like, fights over will and who is owed what, and then you go into court and you fight, 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 and then when all all is said and done, the problems don't go away, and, you know, sometimes you bite off more than you can chew because now you have all this money, and then, you know... Before you know it, you're sort of a totally different person than how you were raised and what you grew up with because you have nothing left. She says if her brother Michael, Army's father, had given her even one of the family paintings, she'd be set for life. Let's end with Casey, who says, I never was taught to save money or to think ahead. I never thought it would end. It's okay, though, because I broke the cycle, if that makes sense, and got away from the hammer genetic trail. There you have it, guys. I mean, this, as far as... Army Hammer stuff goes, that stuff is still, I mean, there's still allegations and, you know, people coming out and saying things, and I don't know where that's going to end, how much worse it's going to get, but this is sort of a new phase of this of this Me Too stuff. Another article came out in the LA Times about that actor Thomas Middleditch, who was in uh, Silicon Valley, and there's, there's this uh, bar on Hollywood and Highland, which is like, it's like the Times Square of Hollywood. It's like, I mean, tourists pass through there all the time. Behind it, apparently, I didn't know this, there was this like secret underground S&M club that he used to go to, this guy Thomas Middleditch, and he uh, groped someone there, and now she's come out and spoken out against him. So now we're seeing this new wave of allegations that involve really, really dark stuff. It happened with Marilyn Manson as well. I imagine part of it is it's really hard to come out and be a person attached to those sexual acts. If you're someone who is interested in S&M and bondage and all of that, but then you are abused in the process, that's a very complicated thing to speak out about. And I think the Marilyn Manson stuff has sort of made people more comfortable opening up about what has happened to them. So, you know, this is this is all very serious stuff, and a lot of it comes from, I, in my opinion 
wealth and when you have everything available at your fingertips, you want more. And sometimes that more becomes the things that we are all taught from a young age, the things that are wrong, the things that are bad, the things that you shouldn't want. Now you want it because you have everything else. So why can't you have that? Okay, everyone, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening to this very special deep dive. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Reality Tonight. Let me know what you thought of this. If you'd like more deep dives, if there are other subjects you want me to deep dive into, I'll put on my scuba gear and I'll, uh, I'll get in those waters for you. Okay, everyone, talk soon.